Dark Days of Dorothy Gale contains content not suitable for children. Listener discretion is advised. This week's episode contains discussions on suicide. If you or anyone you know is in need of help, please contact the National Suicide Lifeline. It's free and it's confidential. You can visit www. Dot suicide prevention lifeline dot org or you can call one eight hundred two seven three eight two five five that's one eight hundred two seven three eight two five five you are not alone Darker Days of Dorothy Gale Chapter 5 Welcome Back Year 196 After the Wizard A.T.W. Dorothy awoke to find herself flat on her back, resting in a soft bed and staring up at the ceiling of a small bedroom. Her body ached all over, and she had an indescribably bad taste in her mouth. She raised herself slowly into a sitting position. She ignored the excruciating pain in her back and the loud popping and creaking of every joint in her now malnourished body. She looked around the empty room, sticking her fingers beneath her immovable glasses and rubbing her eyes, trying to regain clear vision. A beam of sunlight broke through the curtains that covered a small window. Dust particles floated up and down, dancing around in the air. She opened her mouth and took in a deep, painful breath. As her lungs filled with air, her chest felt as though it were going to explode. She clenched her chest tightly as she expelled a painfully heavy, involuntary, raspy cough. The last thing she remembered was falling from the spire. Yes, falling. To her death. It all came rushing back to her. Her discussion with the woodman her suicide, her spiteful suicide. An attempt to keep the greys locked away forever, and thus out of reach of her crazed metal nemesis. She slowly stood up and hobbled to the bedroom door. Upon opening it, she found herself in a large room. On one end of the room was a wash tub and basin. Beside it, a couple of large, rather heavy-looking chairs. The lion, with his dark red fur, slept soundly in the corner. Dorothy had no interest in walking over to the beast, 
not after the violent spectacle she witnessed in the green palace. Along the outermost wall of the cabin was a small table with a severed head of Mr. resting on it, facing an open window. Dorothy thought about greeting him. She stopped herself once she realized he would more than likely not be able to answer. Without his body, he would be rendered unconscious, maybe even dead if that was possible. Her attention turned to the door as it swung open. She watched as a newly refurbished tin woodman entered. His body was sleek and shiny. He did not look at all like she remembered. The clawed gauntlets he called hands, while still sharp, were much smaller now. His feet took on a more modern, less menacing look, and his body in general looked more like something out of Metropolis than a medieval suit of armor. He was also significantly shorter as well. Dorothy was able to meet his eyes without having to look up. She watched cautiously as he slowly walked around the cabin without acknowledging her presence. Placing a gentle hand on Mr.'s head, he turned it away from the window to face her. She took note that his face was completely void of eyes. He was nothing more than a head with a crudely cut mouth. The woodman continued to walk around the room. He grabbed the chairs by the wash tub and slid them to the middle of the room with ease, leaving deep gashes on the hard wood floor. <sighs> Have a scene, he said as he sat down himself, still not looking at Dorothy. She obeyed and slowly limped to her designated chair. Sitting down, she looked at the woodman, who now looked at her in return. You know what happened, he asked. Dorothy said nothing in response. <laughs> you tried to kill yourself. Jumped right out of that spire. And you know what? He paused for a response that he did not get. You survived. Dorothy fidgeted uncomfortably in her chair. She was a survivor. A survivor of many things. But she was tired of being a survivor if it meant dealing with the horrors of her life as it currently existed. Do you know what they call someone who cannot commit suicide? Dorothy Gale, asked the woodman. Dorothy remained silent. They call that a witch. The woodman leaned forward in his seat, his metal body squeaking slightly. I'm not a witch, said Dorothy softly but sternly. The woodman chuckled a little at her response. <laughs> there is an area doubt in my mind that you were not a witch when you arrived in Oz, my dear child. 
I don't even think you were a witch when I first met you. Maybe not even when you rescued the lion from the gray desert. Or me from that tree those bastard wolves hung me from. But I think the moment you killed Glinda, put on those glasses, something changed in you. You transformed into something else. Maybe even someone else. You just keep taking more and more power from those who get in your way. Just swallow it up like the monster you are. I'm not a witch, Dorothy said, this time a little louder. The pain in her bones and joints began to ease ever so slightly. She could feel herself healing. Do you want to know how long you've been rendered unconscious from your fall? Dorothy continued to fidget in her seat as she grew more tense. Forty long days and forty long nights. A normal person does not survive a fall like that, let alone survive a forty-day slumber with no sustenance. Only a fucking witch could survive that. The woodman was right. Even if he was lying about the forty-day coma, she knew he was right about the fall. There was no other explanation for surviving. Dorothy believed there was no such thing as a suicide attempt. You either killed yourself, or you did not. There was no middle ground in life or death, and anything less than a successful suicide was nothing more than a pitiful cry for help. But what was it called when you could literally not kill yourself? When the circumstances were so bizarre that it was simply not possible? She looked at the woodman. I hate you, she said quietly. Yeah. The feeling is mutual, replied the snide woodman. Dorothy looked him up and down. (laughs) Nice, isn't it? Got this new body from a tinsmith in Emerald. Stumbled upon him hiding among the dead. On my way out to retrieve your body. Told him to consider himself lucky to have escaped my wrath on my way to see the wizard. He did not have enough steel or iron to reforge me the body I once had. But he had enough tin to grant me this much lighter, more agile frame.
What about the lion? Dorothy asked as she glanced at the beast, still sleeping in the corner. Cowardly as ever. It appears he's a rather angry drunk. And mister? Dorothy moved her sights to the head on the table. The woodman had to think about this for a second. Huh? Oh. (laughs) You mean that burlap sack you call a scarecrow? I imagine he needs a new body is all. One I'm more than willing to contribute to. In exchange for your full support in getting me into the gray field. He pointed to a body made up of his pre-woodman clothing, hanging on the far wall. It was not entirely unlike Mr.'s original body, the one he had when Dorothy first met him in the ogre's cabin so long ago. Product of a seamstress I met in a little munchkin village not far from here, said the woodman with a smile. As you can probably imagine... I'm not much for fine stitch work. He raised a hand for Dorothy to get a better look and wriggled his metal fingers, each squeaking softly at the joints. Dorothy remained silent as she looked at the headless, crucified body hanging on the wall of the woodman's home. I'm not gonna lie, Dorothy Gale, said the woodman, breaking the now oppressive silence between the two of them. I don't really care if you make it back home or not. I don't really have a preference on whether you live or you die. I care about one thing, and only one thing in this world. Your wife, interjected Dorothy sternly. It was not a question, but a statement of fact. The woodman placed a finger to his nose and tapped it with a light tink, tink, tink. He then told Dorothy the story of Beatrice and her disappearance into the woods. He told her of his encounter with Mombi and how his curse came to be. Told her that had he not spent so much time sitting at the table, collecting dust and rusting, he might have been able to save Beatrice before the gray fields ever came to be. As it turns out, said the woodman, while I was sitting in my chair, sulking over the loss of my wife, the wizard came into power, and the gray fields were created. If that's the case, how did you find out about the gray fields at all? She was becoming less spiteful and more genuinely interested in his story. The trees, replied the woodman matter-of-factly. The trees told me. I hacked away at that forest in search of that fucking witch's home. 
They told me there was no way to get there because of the curse that stole the colors from the land. For a while, I thought for sure the forest and its trees would give way. Grant me access. But the forest is only trees. They only knew of the greys. They did not know where they were or how to get to them. It almost seemed as though two more trees sprouted for every one that I chopped down. And the more I searched for the newly formed gray fields, the denser the forest became. The more difficult it became to find my wife. Dorothy sat in silence and contemplated the woodman's story for a moment. She still had a certain level of hate in her heart for him. She still considered him to be a loathsome person, no matter what kind of sob story he came up with. She thought about everything she had gone through since her arrival in the land of Oz. Thought of the people she left behind in Kansas, the life she once knew, and the world she missed now more than ever. Memories of her mother, hazy and faded by the passage of time, ran through her head. She had only the vaguest recollections of her father. She thought of Henry and M, Kansas, and her home. The memories did not stop there, however. Her mind became flooded with random thoughts, thoughts that had long left her. The first day of school, childhood friends that came and went, birthday parties at the local bowling alley, her first kiss, her first boyfriend, graduation, and that last summer before all her classmates disappeared from her life in search of meaning to their own existences. Summer jobs and horrible bosses, holidays with the friendly family, holidays with the not-so-friendly family, the highs and lows, the bright sides and the dark sides, the good times and the bad. It all started with her mother and a bottle of absinthe. It all ended with Dorothy having to decide if she thought the tin woodman was being honest and sincere about his wife. His wife, who may or may not be alive in the gray fields 